What a difference 12 hours makes, amen? I was sitting here last night at 11 o'clock, and uh, I want to tell you, the, I was reminded what Billy Sunday said, when the heavens open up to bless us, hell opens up to blast us. And uh, I, I just be honest, I, I couldn't even pray in this place last night. I finally just walked out that door, and I said, uh, in the morning, Lord, we'll change this thing. Uh, God inhabits the praise of his people. I tell you, there are times when you get alone and the devil just does a number on you. Maybe you're too spiritual and you don't have that, but I'm telling you, it happens. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. In the presence of Jehovah. Turn, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 13. And I want to I say pray for uh, Danny and and Julie Richards, I, 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 don't, I, I don't want y'all to think that I'm praying that they can't sell their house and move. Everything was a done deal, but everything got shut down. And uh, I honestly have not been praying for them to not sell their house, but you pray God's will be done. I just told them, you know, man, I haven't got to know them very well. And they've been such a blessing here. They just hadn't been here long enough. And so uh, I don't know what's going to happen. You pray for them. What a sweet couple and what a blessing they've been to us. Second Kings chapter 13, two verses today, verse 20 and 21. Would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming of the year. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that, behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Father, we pray this morning you will speak to our hearts in these verses today. God, thank you for the testimony of Elisha. Thank you this morning that this is just more more proof that he was saved, saved, saved. And Lord, when we come to you and trust in you, we have the same assurance of salvation that Elisha had. And I pray this morning for those in this place that don't know you as their personal Savior, that God, Satan, would not have a, a way in their life, that God, you would be just overpowering in this service today. Your Holy Spirit would be so real that, Lord, there's no way we could say no to you today. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when they buried people in the Old Testament uh, times here, it usually wasn't digging a hole six foot deep. Most of the time it was uh, uh, in caves because they had many caves there. And sometimes they would knock out some rock to enlarge that cage. And most of the time, many times, they would bury people where they were standing up. And that was the case with Elisha here. And they probably rolled a stone in front of that, just much like the stone that was in front of the tomb of Jesus. Uh, and it was large enough for the body to stand up, and then uh, the body would be wrapped in all of the clothes and everything. Commentators say it probably at least a year has passed because the body's decayed. All that's left here is a set of bones. That's it. Stone, cold, dead bones. Now, Elisha performed many miracles in his life, but probably, this is probably the greatest miracle that Elisha had a part in doing, and he's been dead a year. 
Uh, there are three seasons, and I know miracles don't pin me down on this. I know miracles can happen anytime, but if you look at the Word of God, there are three primary seasons of great miracles, outpouring miracles. The first one, of course, is the time of Moses. The plagues, the rivers turned into blood, the Red Sea was parted. It's miracle after miracle after miracle as God delivered his people out of Egypt into the land of promise. And then, of course, the time of the apostles when Jesus walked here on the face of the earth. It was a great time of miracles, people being healed, the blind was being made to see. People literally who were dead on their stretchers were being raised up. It was a great time. And then the days of Elijah and Elisha. Uh, Elisha is different from Elijah. And I want to tell you, I see through this is that all God wants each one of us to be is who we are. When I first started preaching, I tried to get a draw like that of Billy Graham. And I would try to preach like Billy Graham. And I want to tell you, it didn't work. It didn't work. I'm not Billy Graham. I thank God. People say, well, oh, what would you do? God's not going to hold me accountable for what he's holding Billy Graham accountable for. Uh, I've got a redneck Baptist church that I'm pastoring. Billy Graham's had thousands upon thousands, you know. So I, I, God just wants us to be who we are. Elijah and Elisha were totally separate. Elijah was an outdoors wilderness man. Elisha lived in the homes in the city. Elijah was rugged and forceful in his preaching. Elisha reasoned and was more tactful like I am. Uh, Elijah wore... <laughs> Elijah wore camel's hair, but Elisha dressed like everyone else. Elijah had a ministry of judgment, but Elisha had a ministry of grace. The Bible says Elisha died. They placed him in the, in the chamber. The greatest miracle of his ministry right here. The Moabites came and they were raiding uh, the Israelites and causing problems there. And the people at this funeral, they're getting ready to bury this guy. They see these Moabites up there on the hill. And they say, whoa, we don't have time to bury him. Like, so just roll a stone away, throw him in here, and let's get out of here. Now, I think they were probably going to come back at a later time to make a proper burial. But we don't know any of that. They didn't need to after all of this happened. But there are two things here. And then there's a lot of subpoints under those two things. But, but one is the message of death. There's a message about death here. In Second uh, Kings chapter 13. And that is this. Death is certain. I don't care how big a shot you are. I don't care how spiritual you are. Death is certain. It's appointed, the Bible says, to man once to die. First Kings 13 verse 14. The Bible says Elisha had fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him, wept over his face, and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. I don't care how big you think you are, you are susceptible to sickness and to death. He was important to the nation Israel. The king literally came down and, and, and cried and wept over him. He was considered a one-man army. There are many instances here where literally Elisha saved the entire nation Israel. And it wasn't by strength. It wasn't by numbers. It wasn't by the power of the army. It wasn't the strength of man. It was the power of God. It was the power of God. Now, Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man to die. But then it goes on to say the judgment. The judgment's going to come. As Christians, we need to be reminded that we've got just a certain amount of time to live on this earth. And then it's over with. Just it, we got to make the most of it. If you've never been saved, 
If you're not a child of the living God, according to Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, you're going to face what's called the great white throne judgment. There's going to come literally a time when God is going to take hell and turn it upside down over like a trash can would and dump it right there. And then there's going to be the books that are going to be opened. One is going to be the book of life. And if your name's not written in the book of life, you're going to be cast into outer darkness. And it will never cease. And I think another book that's going to be there, the Holy Bible's going to be there. Because there are going to be people that say, well, uh, Lord, I did the best I could. I worked my way. I did everything I could. And the Bible's going to shout out, it's not by your works, lest any man should boast, but it's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Death is not the end. The soul does not cease to be. You're going to be placed into a place of outer darkness for eternity. Now, that may be an unpopular message, maybe a message you don't like to hear, maybe a message you don't want to even believe in, but I'm telling you the truth according to the Word of God. That's what your result of your life is going to be. But for the believer, the believer needs to understand that we're going to be judged also. A lot of people who are Christians say, hey, I'm, I'm saved, I'm all right, I don't have to worry about anything. No, you don't have to worry about your sin. Your sin's covered under the blood of Jesus. Amen? Jesus died on Calvary. His sin covered, his, uh, his blood covered your sin. You don't have to worry about your sin. But you are going to have to worry about uh, your life and your motives and your service and what you've done for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It impresses uh, the Bible calls in 2 Corinthians 5.10 the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Jesus Christ. God is going to review my works. He's going, to, he's going to look over every motive, over every work that was done. It inspires me to want to live a sold out, uh, consecrated, wholehearted life for Christ. Uh, and all of this is for the purpose of giving out rewards. And the Bible says those rewards can be called crowns. And we're going to take those crowns and we're going to place them at the feet of Jesus. You say, well, preacher, I'll just be honest with you. I'll just be thankful to get there. And some of you, bless God, ought to be. Amen? But I want to tell you, do you know how embarrassing it is to go to a party of a real good friend? I mean a real good friend. I don't mean just an acquaintance. I mean somebody you've known all your life, somebody that means the world to you. And you go to their party and you say, well, I don't have anything to bring you. What a shame. The one who died on Calvary for your sin and my sin, the one who suffered and died was persecuted, the one who was placed in a borrowed tomb, and you're going to bring him nothing? Not, not, not me. Mm -mm. I want every crown I can get. I, I, I want to be so loaded up, he can't even see me. He's just going to see the crowns. And I just dump them at his feet right there. Say, here you go, Lord. They're all for you. They're all for you. You see, what I do now, what I serve now, my actions, my attitudes, my motives now determine what my reward will be then. Billy Sunday said, you can't live wrong and die right. I, I don't have time to waste. I, I've got a limited amount of time on this earth. I appreciate Brother Aaron's things. I, I do slow down. Some people think I don't ever slow down. I do slow down. I slow down so much it's like a turtle crawling. 
What a blessing to be able to slow down and just get refueled. But I want to tell you, even while we're slowing down, we're thinking about lost people. I don't want to live half-hearted. I don't want to live lukewarm. I don't want to just get by. Hunter Thompson said it best. I put it on Facebook this morning. But if you didn't hear it, see it. Let me read it to you. Quote, life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body. Take note, ladies. But rather, to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. That's how I want to end life. (laughs) Death is certain. I don't care how great a man you are, death is certain. But the Christian life is a great influence on this earth. Verse 20 uh, talks about the fact that the, the, the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming of the year. That's in April. They're, they're bringing in their barley from the winter uh, crops and everything. And the, the Moabites would just come and, and uh, just take what they wanted. Now, it's interesting to note that while Elisha was alive, the Moabites never came. They were scared of him. It's amazing what the influence of one Christian man can do. They said, "Uh uh-huh, well, we'll leave him alone. But the moment that Elisha died, the Moabites started raiding him again. Very interesting. They were threatening. You go back over to chapter 3 of 2 Kings, and you'll find they they had a problem with the Moabites, and and Elisha prays, and, man, they turn that whole valley into water, and, and the Moabites think that it's the... It's blood down there. They done killed everybody. They run on down there for the kill themselves, and they all get ambushed and killed themselves. They run out of there, and they never come back. All the days that Elisha lived, the Moabites didn't bother the children of Israel. But the moment he died, here come the Moabites. I want to tell you what I believe today. Based on 2 Thessalonians 2, listen to what the Scripture says in verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. You say, preacher, what does all that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that on that day it called the rapture. That the only thing that's restraining evil right now in this world is the Holy Spirit of God. And on the day of that rapture, these believers, every believer who believes in Jesus has been sealed unto the day of redemption is going to be caught up to meet the Lord. And when we're caught up to meet with the Lord because we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's caught up also and he leaves this place. I tell you, if the Democrats and the Republicans could understand that the children of God, the faithful, worshiping, praising, praying children of God are literally holding off and restraining evil. You say, boy, it's rough in this world. It's not nothing compared to what you're going to see. You let the Holy Spirit of God get out of this world and you'll see what rough is. This one man, standing true, restrained the armies of Moab. The Bible says we're to be the salt of the earth. Salt is used in preserving meat. And I believe that that literally means as Christians, we're to be worshiping and praying and praising and holding back the power of darkness. We got to keep standing because you could be standing between chaos in this world 
and holding back that restraining evil. God, help us to raise up students and young people and children and men and women who will stand in the gap and say, I'm not going to back down. So there's a message about death here. But I want to tell you, secondly, there's a message about life. Verse 21, came to pass as they were burying a man, that behold, they spied a band of men, they cast the man into the sepulcher, and when the man was let down, he touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Several things there. I think, first of all, it teaches us of the importance of holiness. Let's just be honest. There's probably more holiness in these dead, cold, dry bones of Elisha than there is in all of this church body gathered here this morning. God still teaches holiness. And I don't mean a bunch of do's and don'ts and a bunch of all that stuff. We don't talk about holiness much in the church. But I want to tell you, when you get saved, you not only get saved from your sin, you get saved, God sets you apart to be used in his work, in his kingdom. You, you, you ought to have an appetite and a desire for the word of God. You ought to want to please the holy, living Lord Jesus Christ. You ought to want to honor and glorify Jesus, not just set apart from sin, but set apart for the use of God. Elisha was holy in his character. He was a man of integrity. He had truth in his mouth because he had truth in his heart. He was holy in his conversation. You're a child of God. I want to think sometimes, because well, I, 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 I listen, I stay up with y'all on Facebook. I thought, why are you talking like that? You're a child of God. You don't have any more vocabulary than that. Now listen to me, I know all these, uh, I've done read all this stuff, these politicians are saying these bad words. Let, let me tell you, these suckers is lost as a, you know, they lost. They lost. You expect lost people to do that. But for saved people, you say, well, let's just use my name. You say, well, that's just the hunt in me. Well, what about the Jesus in you? Doesn't the Jesus in you override the hunt in you? Because if it doesn't, something's wrong with your... <laughs> oh, me, have mercy. No corrupt, no coarse. Good things ought to be coming out of our mouth and out of our lives. He was holy in his character. He was holy in his conversation. He was holy in his conduct. He acted like a believer is supposed to act. That's a disturbing trend in the church today because it's hard to tell who the believers are and who the believers are not. I saw last night, yeah, you know, I've got believers, members of this church sitting around drinking and smoking and bar and having a good time. You, you can be a run-of-the-mill Christian if you want to. And you can think you've got life insurance from hell. And you can go on and live through life any way you want to, thinking that little old prayer you prayed, and then you're going to shove Jesus over there. And then when you die, you're going to heaven by and by in the sky. I, I got some tragic news for you. That's not the Word of God. When you trust Jesus, He is to be the Lord of your life. 
We're to trust him. We're to have the word of God. We're to be in the hands of the spirit of God. And he ought to be shaping our life. Where God is honored, that's where great blessings are. God didn't work through the prophets of Baal. He worked through a prophet of truth. God didn't work through worldly philosophy. He worked through the prophet who spoke the word of God. God didn't work through the uncleanness of Jezebel and Ahab. He worked through the purity of a man surrendered to the lordship of Christ. God doesn't work through disobedience. He works through obedience. You'll never find, you'll never find anywhere in this Bible where a blessing came that obedience did not first of all precede it. Always. When there's obedience, God pours blessings out. It's always there. This man was saved to the bone. He was holy to the bone. And when a man touched his bones, though he was dead, he came to life. That teaches us something about holiness. But it also teaches us something about the impact of ministry. Because he had influence and impact in his ministry long after he had died. His bones affected somebody even though he was dead. His ministry was not over. You're, you're, you're still planting seeds. You're still bearing fruit. That's going to continue on and on. And you say, Brother Charles, I've never done anything that's worthwhile. Have you been faithful? Yeah, I've been faithful, but it's not gotten me nowhere. Are you teaching? Yeah, I'm teaching boys and girls, but they don't listen to me. I teach those students. They're chewing gum, sitting on their back ends playing cell phones and all of that. I've been teaching those singles and they, they sing hallelujah and praise the Lord on Sunday, but Brother Charles, I've, I've heard what they've been doing on Saturday night and I'm so depressed. Feel so down. I'm just worthless. I was a, started out in my ministry as a music and youth minister and uh, had a tremendous choir. Dead church, dead is four o'clock, but had a great youth choir. I was driving the youth choir over to Piney Woods Baptist Encampment, 17 years old, blew a rod straight up in the hood of that bus. I mean, came out the front part of the hood. And uh, they got in a big fight about it. And I, uh, we was in a business meeting and preacher was gone and I made a motion, we put a new motor in that bus. And the chairman of the deacons said, uh, <clears throat> we've got a committee to check to see if we need a bus. And I said, well, I made a motion, we put a motor in that bus. And there's a second, you've got to do something with it. And so the church voted to put a motor in the bus. Now that night, about 9 o'clock, they called me and said, the deacons would like to talk to you tonight. And I had to resign and get out of town. That's all right. No problem with that. The church, the next business meeting, though, threw three deacons out and said, anybody else that doesn't apologize to him, we'll throw them out too. And then the guy in town heard about it. Lost pagan, lost as a goose. He said, I'll give you the motor to the bus and put it in. won't cost you a penny. And I thought to myself, Man, what am I doing here? You know, I felt useless. So God moved me to another church. I stayed there 21 years. No, it really was 11 months. <laughs> it was worse than the other one. 
I mean, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? What am I, what am I doing here? I had one prayer, God, get me out of town. I mean, every Wednesday, I would fast. Nothing but water. God, get me out of town. That was my prayer. God, get me out of town. And God got me out of town. I want to tell you, when I crossed the state line, I prayed, God, get the demons out of this car and off the fenders of this car. And I was driving as fast as I could, trying to get out of that thing as fast as I could. And it's probably 10, 15 years later. Guy comes up to me and says, were you at... uh, It's like a Vietnam flashback, I'm telling you. (laughs) I I said, yeah. Yeah, I was there. He's boy, that's a dead church. I said, oh, Lord, was it dead? I never will forget one day. The choir was trying to get me. He had old holes in the floor. We couldn't move the church, though, because some old lady painted the baptistry back there, and, and until she died, we couldn't move the thing. And there was a wasp crawling up the preacher's leg. They said, you got to do something. I said, no, nah, I'm going to wait to see if it stings him. I mean, that wash gets a hold of him. It may be the most action we've had in this church in years. Some 15 years later, though, this guy comes in and says, were you there? And I said, yeah, I was there. He said, "Uh, you took us on a children's camp, and I got saved. And I'm a staff member now, and I'm serving the Lord. I thought, Lord, have mercy. Mm, you never know what God is doing. You see, sometimes you preach and you think it's bouncing off the walls. Sometimes you witness and you think nobody's listening to you. Sometimes you teach and you think you're not getting through. Sometimes you sing and you think it's falling on deaf ears. But I wanted you to know that even though you can't see it, the God in heaven is using that to touch people. So listen to me. Keep on preaching. Keep on singing. Keep on teaching. Keep on witnessing. God will use it. After this man's dead and gone, God's still using him. Hallelujah. Well, it teaches us about the importance of regeneration. Let me see what time it is here. Oh, I got time. (laughs) The importance of regeneration. The man was dead. I mean, he's dead. He's dead. He's dead. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Ah, have mercy. He's dead. It tells me about the importance of the cross because I want to tell you something. Listen to me. I was dead. You were dead. But because of what Jesus did on that cross, the blood of Jesus has breathed life into us. Hallelujah. (laughs) Through the cross, we find life. Then it teaches us as soon as we get saved, we're going to face the enemy. I mean, that old boy... He got a touch. He just touched Elisha. Boom, he's up. And, and you know what the first? There's them Moabites. My goodness, he just got saved. Can he get a little break? <laughs> Sometimes the enemy really don't come until you do get saved. There's the Moabites, the enemy. Soon as we're born again, we face the enemy. Brother Aaron said it earlier, though, be of good cheer. I've overcome. I've overcome them. And then it teaches us that when you truly are saved, there's going to be an evidence. There's going to be an evidence. The Bible says, when this dead man touched the bones, 
he stood to his feet. <laughs> stood to his feet. Wow. Power in the old rugged cross. When Jesus died, the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. The Bible says the graves were opened in the cemeteries and people came out. What were they doing? They were professing Jesus Christ. It was a dying Savior that caused Nicodemus to come forward. It was a dying Savior that caused, uh, that caused uh, Joseph of Arimathea to come out of the closet and be a sold-out Christian. God does do the impossible. He does do the impossible. Think with me just a moment. Would you just think? Now, I know this is not in here. You can go ahead and close your Bible because I'm just talking now. It's not in the Word of God. But you've got to use a little sanctified imagination. Just a little bit. I mean, here these guys are, and, and they're funeralizing this guy. And I'm sure, I, I, I don't, I don't, he don't say a word about the pallbearers. What the God, we could have known what the pallbearers did. I mean, they're dropping this body inside this grave. Because the Moabites are coming, and they're saying, Woo, we don't, we don't have time to take him to his original grave. We're going to have to dump him as soon as we can. They find this tomb. They roll the stone back. They drop him down in there, and he stands straight up. Now, I don't think that they probably stood there to watch him stand up. I don't think anybody ever saw that. Because all they knew was them Moabites was up there, and they were thinking to all get killed. And so I think, I don't think they let him down very easy. I think they just kind of chunked him. <laughs> kind of like you do throw pillows, and just chunk them. And then they're running. They're running as fast as they can to get away. And then somebody says, Hey, <clears throat> wait a minute, wait for me. <laughs> and they turn and look around, and the guy they had chunked down in that grave is outside of that grave, and he's running as fast as they are. What a mighty God we serve, amen? I mean, God, God does a miracle here in a half. <laughs> Billy Graham says you're born... You suffer, you die. Fortunately, he says, there's a loophole. And that loophole is when you come to Jesus Christ. See, he who is born twice only dies once. He who is born once dies twice. Max Lucado said this in one of his books. God never said that the journey would be easy. But he did say the arrival would be worthwhile. <laughs> Couldn't help but think about that yesterday with old Morris. What a blessing he's been to so many people in so many years. <laughs> and life hadn't been easy on Morris. But I tell you what, I bet that arrival was worthwhile. And I'm asking you this morning, some of you this morning, you're born, you're suffering right now, and you're going to die. But the loophole is if you'll come to Jesus just like you are. Now, some of you are already talking about, well, now, preacher, I'm, I'm planning on doing that, but I need to get this straight. No, you'll never get that straight. You don't clean the fish before you get them. You get the fish in the boat, and then you clean them. 
You, you just don't jump on off that boat and go down there and try to clean one of them fish and then hang it on a line. It don't work that way. And it don't work that way in the Christian's life either. And this morning you have an opportunity to make use of that loophole, and that loophole is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Man, if you're just trodden through life, just trying to, you're going to tell me that Jesus gave up heaven and all of the palaces of glory to be born in a manger, to die on a cross, to be placed in a borrowed tomb, a crown of thorns, a spear in his side, so that you could just get by? Uh Uh-uh. No. No, Christian, if you're just getting by, man, you you, you need to get revived. Father, we're grateful this morning for the opportunity you give us to accept you. We call it a loophole, but Lord, we know in our heart there's no such thing as a loophole. There's no coincidence before the foundation of the world. You knew every person would be in this service right here today. You knew those who need to be saved. You know those who are saved but are living a lukewarm life that need to be revived and renewed. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would have control of every person that's in this place today. Lord, I pray this morning as I stand here, as Brother Jason stands here, as Christy comes down and stands here, Lord, to receive people. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that those that need to be saved would come forward. Those that need a church home would come forward. Those that need to renew their spirit and the joy of their salvation would come forward. These altars would be filled. And Lord, we'd raise our hands and we'd say, Lord, have mercy. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Have your way in our lives right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Would you stand?